taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to this message. This is the Journey Church Podcast. Our hope is that it leads you closer to Jesus and encourages you to live your life on mission for Him. For more information about our church and how you can get involved in what God is doing at Journey, please visit jrny.church. Turn to somebody to your right or left and just give them a high five and say, hey, it's great to see you in church today. Glad I got to sit by you. And then we're going to go right into today's message at all of our campuses. As you're being seated, uh, whether you're a guest in the house, you've never been here before, maybe you're back visiting with a family member, or maybe you're not a guest, you just showed up here today, uh, we are excited that you are with us. And no matter how you got here, I believe that you're not here on accident. And I believe God has something to speak to your heart today. And so we'll be together for the next 30 minutes. If you're not typically in church and you want to know what's going to go on, I'm going to preach for about 25, 30 minutes. We're going to sing one more song, and we'll get you out into the beautiful summer weather that God has given us today. You you haven't been here. You weren't here last week. uh, Maybe we started a new sermon series, and so we preach in in series here. Uh, We started a new sermon series called Jesus Bars. Uh, it's it's going to be a study on the book of Psalms, but it's also a play on words because the word bar is a musical term. Uh, the word bars has actually been adopted by people who like hip hop and rap, and they'll say stuff like, hey, that line was bars. Remember I brought Eric on the screen last week, and so I said maybe instead of saying amen or hallelujah or whatever else people say in church, maybe maybe you say, hey, that was bars. Let's practice. That was bars. You guys are good. First services looks at me like, like well, they're too white, right? Like they're just... And I heard you guys are, we, we got it, right? We got rhythm up here. Like I'm about to, you know, floss or something like that. And so we just say, that's, that's bars at all of our campus. And so, and the reason we, we, we're studying the book of Psalms is Psalms is a, is a music book. It's 150 different poems and, and, and songs that people of old would, would have known. And so uh, we, we said that we're going to focus this month on this book. And so if you're not a church person, just so you understand the Bible, the Bible is not one book you read straight through. The Bible is 66 books. Uh, and it's made up in two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. The cool thing about the Bible, it's unlike any other book that has ever been written in the history of the world because most books are written in a short period of time by one author. This book was written over a period of 1,600 years by 40 different authors on, f- uh, on three different continents and three different languages. It's, a, it's a, a book unlike any other book, yet if you read it, it's one story, the story of God's love and how he saves mankind from, from themselves. And so Psalms is almost directly in the middle of the book. It's almost like God wants us to know that everything about our lives, past, present, and future, is going to be solved through worship and through praise. We are all created to praise. And so we all worship and praise something. So if we sang today and you're like, I don't like that, I guarantee if you're at a Phillies game or an Eagles game and the fight song comes on and you're a big Eagles fan, what do you do? Like, like we, we don't care. We look like fools, right? It's a, and we sing because we were created to praise something. It's no different in church. Like the music comes on, the bass drops, because I believe that is biblical. The lights come on, the haze goes, and we get our worship on like, like we are created to do. And so we have a, we're going to focus on worship. Last week, that's where we started in Psalms chapter 46. If you were here, you can go check it out. Uh, the cool thing about the Psalms is there's, it's not one kind of uh, theme going all throughout the book that the psalmist, the people who wrote these, deal with all sorts of areas. And so we're going we're gonna to deal with different things people are struggling with. And today, the title of my message would be called, Wait For It. Wait, wait For It. Uh, here, here's my question. How many of you are like me and you struggle to wait for things? I mean, you don't have to raise your hand. I, I think most of us probably do. Like most of us in this area, we do not live a life of peace, right? <laughs> Far from it. 
Like they would not describe Northeasterners as peaceful people. We, would, we, we are at angst. We are stressed out. We are in a hurry, right? We, are, we don't want to wait behind a slow car. We don't want to wait. You ever been in, in Giant or Wegmans or wherever you go shopping and you get in and you are like moving your cart to try to get to the fastest lane? You ever been in one after you decided to go to that one, pass another one? It's not moving fast. Go back to this one only to go back to this one. Like, we don't get in line and just go, I got nothing. I mean, this is, this is great. I can, I can look at magazines. I can catch up on Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt and all this other stuff and find out about Chip and Joanna Gaines' new house, and I can just relax. And w- with my kids, we can look at candy that I'm not going to buy them and dream, and we, we are in a hurry. I planted grass seed a few weeks ago at my, at my house. I wanted it to grow the next day. I thought it did. Two weeks later, it's barely coming through. I'm like, what's going on? If I water it more, maybe it'll grow faster. And so I don't like... So wait, I'm great at waiting for surprises. Like if I buy something, I want to give it that day. I don't care if it's for, I can buy something in Thanksgiving for Christmas. I want to give it the next day. Like I, I hate to wait for surprises. In fact, uh, my engagement story uh, is a failure because of my lack of waiting. Now, some of you are fa- fixing to get engaged. And I'm going to tell you my engagement story so that when you get engaged to your fiance, they're going to think you're amazing. And no matter what you do, it's going to sound better than what I did because you got nowhere to go but up for mine. But because I don't like to wait, I didn't have a plan, right? I went and picked up the ring from the mall. I was, a, I was a junior in college. I drove back from Dallas to Waxahachie, Texas, about 30 minutes. And on the way back, I decided I'm getting engaged. Now. <laughs> Middle of the day, right? My wife, I looked at the thing. I knew her schedule. My, my, future, my girlfriend, future wife, she was at a workout class. And I was like, this would be a great time to get engaged. She'll be surprised. She'll love it. But the truth is... I didn't want to wait. So, you know, I didn't go home, take a shower. I didn't brush my teeth. I just went and found my suit on the floor in my closet, right? Dusted it off, put on my suit, did this, and ran. I was about, about 300 yards away from her class, ran to the class, busted in the workout class, got on one knee and said, would you marry me? And all the girls went, oh. But here's why I think they were going, oh, my gosh, I feel so bad. This is your story? This is what you're going to tell your grandkids? If I had more time, I would tell you it gets even worse than that. She said yes, and we're married. We've been married for a long time now. I don't know on the spot how many years, 17, 18, 19. Feels like forever, best forever of my life, though. <laughs> because I didn't like to wait. I don't like to wait for anything. On a more serious note, I bet there's people in here, you are waiting for something. Serious. Like, we just dedicated kids. There's, there's people listening to my voice that you're trying to get pregnant. That was actually painful for you. Because you're trying to figure out when God's going to come through. You're, you're trying. You're taking the test. It keeps being negative or uh, whatever it says. I don't remember what it looks like, positive, negative, the line. And it's, it doesn't happen. Or you were, and you, you lost a child, and you went through that hurt and heartache, and you, you've waited for God to show up, and it just hasn't happened. And some of you, you grew up in church, and you raised your kids in church, but, but on a day like this, you're, you're waiting for God to rebring them back. Like you thought you did everything you could and you prayed for God to bring them back. There's some of you, you're waiting on a spouse or you're, you're waiting on a good report from, from the doctor. And the truth is we have a hard time waiting on, on, on anything for God. So if you struggle like I do, like I want, God, I want God to come through yesterday. I want his answers. For me, as a pastor of this church, I started in 2005. I started with a very specific prophetic dream from my parents to me that I, I have written down that I will never forget And I have yet, it's been 15 years, really 18 years at this point, no, 15 years, 13 years at this church as we got started, but 15 years since I moved back to Pennsylvania. 
and I'm still waiting. Like, I, 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 I am, well, I'm like, God, okay. That dream that you promised, it hasn't come to pass yet. I haven't fully, I've seen you do some things, but not the things in my dream, and I'm waiting on, on, on God. And so if you're in a season like that, and I believe a lot of us are, that's why we worry, that's why we have anxiety, that's why we have fear, that's why we make unwise decisions, that's why we compromise, that's why we check out, that's why we try something different. If that's you today, this message hopefully is going gonna, is gonna to minister to your spirit, because the guy we're going to read about, his name is David, he is in a waiting season. Just to give you a little background in his life, he was a shepherd by trait, the youngest of, of all his brothers. And it was just assumed because he was the youngest that that's what he was going to do. He was the runt of the family. And so nobody else wanted to take care of the family's livestock and be the shepherd. And they were all older, and they could all beat him up and give him wet willies and wedgies. And so they just made him go be a shepherd. So he's a, he's a pretty successful shepherd. If you read the stories of David, David is killing bears with a slingshot and lions. I mean, he, he's, a, he's a successful shepherd, but that's about as good as it's going to be for him. So he's living in a kingdom with, with a king named Saul. And Saul's pretty famous, pretty popular. Saul was handpicked by God, by the prophet Samuel. And Saul gets prideful. And Saul starts to not listen to God. And so God says, you know what? Your family is not going to continue to be the king. You're not going to pass this on to your son Jonathan or any other family that you have. We're going to strip this from you, and I'm going to give the throne or the, king, the kingdom to somebody else. So very specifically, God sends Samuel, the prophet, to the house of Jesse, the father of David, by the way. David's out in the field. Samuel walks in, and he, he has his understanding of what a king is supposed to look like. So he just assumes that the oldest son, he's tall, he's handsome, right? He's your tender dream, right? Like he, he, he's there. And so he decides... This is going to be the king. And right before he anoints him, God says, that's not him. So he goes to the next son. Just assumes, okay, if it's not him, maybe something's wrong with him. This is the second one. Not him. The next one. And this, this pattern goes on so he has no more kids that are there except for David out in the field. So he goes to Jesse. This is how little his father thought of him, by the way, because he said, get your sons. One of them's going to be the king. He doesn't even get David because he just assumes he's just a shepherd. He brings David in, and God says, that's my man says something very, very uh, amazing. I, I love this because we all do this. He says, he said, man looks at the outside and judges by that, but, but God judges on the inside. So he might not look like a king now, but inside he's wired like a king. So the Bible says that he gets anointed uh, by Samuel in that moment. And you would think very next thing, it's like anointed, put him on, uh, on the stretch limo, take him to the kingdom, he's going to be the king. But he's just a little boy. He's 12 years old at that point. And something happens for the next 15 years. He just waits. He goes and kills Goliath. People begin to celebrate him. They, they begin to excited for him. He gets famous, but it's still not his time to be king. God has not released that to him yet. It gets so bad, the current king, Saul, because he knows he's a dead duck, begins to get jealous and hateful of David. He gets so angry at him that he chases him. And David, at this point in his life, is hiding for his life in caves. It's dark. And years and years and years are passing. You ever begin to follow God and stuff gets worse? You ever step out into God's plan, say yes to the plan of God, and it feels like stuff gets more difficult? That's where he's at. And this is what he writes at all of our campuses in Psalms chapter 13. He writes from a cave. He writes hiding out. He writes in the waiting, trying to figure out when it's going to happen. 15 years, maybe have passed 13 years, something like that. This is what he says. And he knows in his head that he's anointed, but in his heart he's struggling. Psalms 13 says, how long, Lord? How long are you going to forget? Forever, he says. 
How long will you hide your face from me? You ever been there? It's been two years since I've been single. It's forever. I've been working at this dead-end job for six months. It feels like forever. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? I didn't pick this enemy. God, you made him my enemy. And now he has me hiding out in a cave, scared for my life. How long am I going to be here? Maybe, maybe, maybe another time in the same season, he wrote, he wrote Psalms uh, 69, verse number 3. He says, he says I'm worn out for, from calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are failing looking for my God. I can't even see him in this. Like, I don't get him at all. Watch what he keeps writing, though. And this, is, this, is, this is key for you today. If you're struggling with waiting on something from God, watch what David writes. This is, this is powerful. In verse 13, verse 3, he says, he says, look on me and answer, Lord my God. Watch what he says. This is, really, this is really important. He says, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. In other words, what he's saying is help me to see what you're seeing. I don't see it. So help me to see what you're seeing. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when, when I fall. Help me to see what I'm seeing. So I guess if I had a prayer for you today, it would be that God would give you a different set of, set of eyes because I can't change your circumstance. I wish I could. I can pray for you. I can pray that, that you would get pregnant. I can pray that you would get that job. I can pray that your husband or your wife would come back because they left you and it was unexpected and you're going through a devastation and you're praying that they would repent. I can pray for your child to come back and you know maybe he'll walk in or she'll walk into church next week with you and give her heart to the Lord. I can pray all those things for you, but I don't have the power to change it. And so what I've found in my life is oftentimes in my circumstances, instead of me just praying God change it, I pray God change what I'm seeing. Ch change how I'm, I'm looking. Anybody in this room with me, you, you, you literally, like flying is just, it just irritates you. Like I, I just, I don't, I don't like the whole flying experience. I'd rather drive. Like, we're going to drive to Oklahoma this year. Why don't you fly? I said, because I, by the time you wait, you get there two hours early, you check all your kids in, you know, you pay all that money, then you wait again, and I'm going to Oklahoma most of the times, and there's no one-stop flights to Oklahoma because nobody's trying to get to Oklahoma. Everybody's trying to leave Oklahoma. <laughs> and so when you get on a plane from Philly, you go, sometimes you go to, like, there's been times we've flown past Oklahoma to Dallas. That will preach, by the way. You're literally going, bye, why are we going past you? Just land, right? Sometimes you go to Chicago. Sometimes you've been to Atlanta. Like, we've been all over the place. And there is a, there is a layover. They call it a layover where you get off your plane, and they say you're going to have two hours. Or if the flight's cheap, you might have eight days layover. <laughs> you ever do it with a little kid? Like, it is insanity. And then you get the kid. It's, the whole process is just a difficult process. And there's been times where the, the trip was already 10, 11 hours of your day. By the time you wake up early and get there, it's only a 20-hour trip. And so you start to, you know, weigh the options. Like, driving costs about a fifth of, dry, of, of flying and all these things. And so you just end up driving. But there's been times where 11, 12 hours of the trip. And sometimes you get on into the airport and you land in Chicago. And then there's an unexpected delay. Or sometimes you show up at the airport and there's an unexpected delay and you're like, well, what's going on? And you like, just start the plane. Like you look out at your plane, you're like, yeah, there's something wrong with the plane. You're like, looks fine to me. <laughs> like I'll fly it. Just get me out of this airport. 
And I started thinking about life because I realized that in flying to Oklahoma, there is very infrequent one-stop trips. There is always delays. There was always unexpected things. The destination is still coming, but you have to go through all the unexpected things. You got to wait. Sometimes you got to sit in the terminal and just trust the people that are much smarter than you, that are seeing things that you don't see. And you pray, God, I don't know, or I don't know what I'm looking at here, but I want to, I want to trust what, what they're seeing. They, they're seeing a storm. They're seeing hail. They're seeing a tornado coming. They're, they're seeing in-laws on the horizon. Like, like they're, they're delaying it, right? And as I think about those things, I started thinking about life because there's a lot like that. There's, a lot, there's, a, there's very little one-way stops to God's destiny. And if they would just put you on the next plane without checking the storm and checking the weather and checking the patterns and checking what else is going on, a disaster could happen. Because the truth is, is God's will outside of God's way always leads to disaster. It, it always leads to disaster. And so God had a plan for David. David would eventually, here's the cool thing. You can read the story. Eventually, he becomes king just like God said he would. He becomes a very successful king. He becomes one of the most successful kings in Israel's history. He also does some really stupid things in his life and needs to live within the grace of God. And we will probably take a look at some of those psalms as well. But I want to give you some, I think some of you are in the middle. You're in the, the terminal. You're watching life pass you by. You're, you're waiting. You don't really know what you're looking at. You don't understand all the signs. You don't understand the person talking in the microphone because they don't talk far enough away from it. You don't get what's going on. And I think in that moment in your life, you often make some of the worst mistakes. And I want to give you some of those things, the ways people respond at all of our campuses, that if I look at my life, I would say this is a, this is a, this is a mistake when, when you're waiting, because we will all be there. Let me just give you just a couple, and I have five, but we're going to go quick, so don't judge me, right? Here we go. Number one, I, I would say this first to you. Don't, don't overreact. Don't overreact. When, we're, when you're waiting on the Lord, don't do what, you, you have a kid, you have kids? One of my kids is an overreactor, right? Like they all overreact from time to time, but I have one. When he sees blood, he thinks he's dying. Like literally no matter what, it won't even be bleeding. And he thinks he is dying. He is an overreactor. Like, like I think every family has what I would call an overreactor. And I think a lot of times when we get into a waiting period, we overreact. Could you imagine getting laid over at an airport and being like, I'm, I'm leaving? Where are you going? Because you're in Chicago right now. You're about 700 miles away from Pennsylvania, 800 miles, whatever it is. Don't Google it right now. I don't know how far it is, right? Some of you, see if he's right or wrong. I don't know how far it is. It's far. And you go, you know what? I'm done with this. Where are you going, Steve? I'm walking back to Pennsylvania. That is an overreaction, by the way. You will die. Or somebody will pick you up. Something bad will happen, but in this moment where you're waiting, just because you've been waiting an hour, or you don't know what's going on, or you have questions, what do you do? I'm going to overreact, and here's what I know. There is no telling how many God destinies have been wasted at the altar of people overreacting in the middle of waiting. But there is no telling. God, 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 God makes you wait. I think someday we'll all get to heaven, those of us who have faith in Christ. And I have always imagined a big screen coming down. He puts it down like this is your life. You guys that are old remember that show? And the screen comes down. And God says, hey, this would have been your life. But in the middle of waiting, you decided to go outside of my plan. I had to rework it a little bit. And we still accomplished some good things. But if you would have just waited a couple moments later, like think about with your marriage, for instance, and not the person you're married to, but the people who aren't married, this is for you. You're not supposed to think like this if you're married. You're stuck. 
But if you're not married and you settle and you overreact and everybody else is getting married and all your friends are online and you get married, but you don't marry the right person, you marry the wrong person because you're overreacting, you get to heaven someday, and you had an awful life because you're married to the wrong person, and I'm just going to let you know that is an awful life. And they pull the screen down, and he says, hey, hey, Steve, this was supposed to be your wife. This was, this was supposed to be your career. This was supposed to be where you lived. This is supposed to be what you did. This is supposed to be the relationships that you had. But because you always overreacted, you missed out on all the things. Here's what I would say. You never cut a tree down in the wintertime. You never make a negative decision in the low time. You never make your most important decisions when you're in the worst moods. Here's what you should do. Wait. Be patient. The storm always passes. And here's the thing. Spring always comes. Don't make bad decisions based on a bad day. That's what the psalmist says in 27. He says, here's what I'm, I'm going to remain confident of this. Watch what he says. I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So what, twice he says, what does he say? He says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and take heart. Wait for the Lord. Can I tell you that again? Don't overreact. Wait for the Lord, be strong, take heart. What does he say again? And wait for the Lord. Don't overreact. Let me just give you a couple more. Don't overthink. Really popular movie just came out with Will Smith, Aladdin. And oftentimes we look at God like we do a genie. I'm going to rub, rub it. He'll give me what I want, the, the bottle. I'm going to pop up, do what he's supposed to do. If I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, the big guy in the sky will do what he's supposed to do, make it happen, give me a wife, give me kids, you know, give me the job. If, if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, then stuff doesn't work out, and I can just fix it and make stuff go the way it's supposed to do because that's the relationship I have with God. It's a two-way thing, right? I send a little bit of love up. He sends a little bit of love down. I send a little bit of love up. He sends a little bit of love down. We're boys. The problem is that's not how it works. You don't send love up to God. God send loves down, sends love down to you. You send God's love out to others. That, that's how it works. If you have a relationship with your parents where you send a little love up, you send a little love down, you send a little love up, you send a little love down, that's a debt to debtor, and I guarantee you don't, probably don't even talk to your parents. I guarantee it's a strained relationship because that's not love. Love is one directional. When you get married, you don't send a little love over to your spouse. She sends a little love back. You don't send the right kind of love. She takes her ball and goes to bed. That's not how you love the person with all your heart with no strings attached. They love you and serve you with no strings attached. It's not a complimentary thing. That's not what it's going. It's not a little bit, a little bit. It's 100% this way. And oftentimes in a relationship with God, we don't get what we think we need, and we're living in a relationship with God where we're sending the love up, and he's not sending the right love down, and we begin to overthink it. There is some things in your life that are your fault. If you don't put oil in your car and it blows up, that's your fault. That's not like, oh, what happened? You didn't put oil in your car. There's other things that happen in your life that are not your fault. You can be serving the Lord with all of your heart and seeking him and tithing and using your gifts. And you can still get a bad report at the doctor. I've seen marriages where one, 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 one member was seeking the Lord with all of their heart. And yet their spouse, even though they prayed for them, still chooses to walk away. I've met good Christian families. And by, by the word good Christian, that's, that's an oxymoron. No such thing as a good Christian. There's only such thing as a a saved Christian, a grace-filled Christian. But people by all measures who are good people, who want kids, and there's a bunch of bad people who don't want kids, and get rid of them. 
when they don't want them. And they pray for kids, and they do all the right things, and they serve, and they seek the face of God, and yet they still don't, don't have a child. There's people that want a career, but they don't get it. And I, I want you to make sure you don't ever get in the point in the middle of waiting where you begin to overthink and get in this type of relationship that says, if I would just do the right thing. And I want to remind you when you get into that season to go to the book of Job. It's an Old Testament book. It clearly destroys this theory about you do the right thing, God does the right thing. You do the wrong thing, God does the wrong thing. Job has it all together. He's, he's seeking the face of God. He's been blessed in every situation, and Satan comes to the throne room of God. I don't know exactly how that looks, and he says the only reason Job loves you is because you give him stuff. He says if you take away that stuff from Job, Job will not seek you, and so God says that's fine, and God allows from his life. He loses family. He loses money. He loses health. He loses almost everything. His great friends come to him, and they do what most of us do. What would you do wrong, man? What would you do wrong to lose all this? And meanwhile, Job has done nothing wrong. You know what he does? He continues to seek the face of God. The Bible says by the end of the book that he has restored it, but not only restored it, he has doubled what he had before. One of my favorite passages at the end of Job is where he said, I used to think I know you, but now that I went through this waiting period, through this difficult period, through this hard period, he said, now I really know you. I want to encourage you to not over think when, when you get into a, a, a delay. Don't, don't overthink. Let me just give you three more. Don't overwork. Don't overwork. So I want you to think about the thing you want. And here's what we tend to do. Uh, we tend to manufacture things in our lives. I, we call it manufacture the miracle. Let me give you an example of what that looks like. When your washer and dryer breaks down, manufacturing the miracle is when you put something on Facebook that says, is anybody selling a cheap washer and dryer? Because what you really are saying is, mine broke down, I need somebody to give me one. And then they give it to you, and you tell everybody, this was a miracle. No, you asked for it, which is fine. Just ask for it. Like, I would just say, hey, I need 100 bucks. No, seriously, I need 100 bucks. I'm just playing. And so, like, you just ask, right? That's manufactured miracle. Let me give you some other ones, because that didn't, that didn't really drop. I wonder right over your head. Uh, there's people in this place that you are like, I'm in a relationship that came from God. It came from God, it came from God, it came from God. I say, okay, what are the ingredients of it? Well, he's not here today, but he's not traveling, and he, he's just at home playing Fortnite. But, 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 he's really, like, he's pretty nice. He's not, like, all the way nice. He's pretty nice. And he, he, he is an aspiring artist. He doesn't have a job right now. But he's going, to live, he's going to get one someday, he told me. And his mom thinks he's awesome. Right? And he says, so we're in this relationship, and we're going to get married. It's a miracle. I've been praying for God to bring me that guy, and he finally did. Oh, yeah, how'd you meet him? Well, I met him on Tinder. We swiped right. I met him up. He looked kind of like the picture. <laughs> to keep him, we... We slept together. We've been sleeping together. He told me he loves me. We're not engaged yet. But he said someday if all the chips fall right at Fortnite, <laughs> me and him, we're going to get married. It's a miracle from God. I prayed for it for so long. You manufactured that miracle. Let me tell you what a miracle from God looked like. Single miracle, right? You're single and you have been praying for years. Maybe, maybe years, like, like a year, two years, three years, 15 years. 
You have kids. You feel like nobody wants you because you have kids and their dad abandoned them and now you don't know what to do and you can't find any good guys and you, you've been all, like you, and so you decide I'm going to stop looking and I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. And I came, started coming to church, and I started to seek him, and I stopped going out on Friday night and Saturday night, and I started seeking his face, and we never missed church. And I brought my kids by myself to church with, by the way, you deserve a trophy for that. And we got there on time, and I began to serve, and I began to seek him, and I began to use my gifts, talents, and abilities to build his kingdom. And I sought him, just like it says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God, and everything else everybody else is looking for will be added to your life. And I was in church just getting my worship on, fist pumping for the Lord, and all of a sudden this guy tapped me on the shoulder, and he said, you look good praising. And he looked me in the eyes, and he asked me on a date with his voice. And he picked me up. He was kind to my kids. He took me on a date. He paid. He didn't expect anything in return. We have been pure, and we are getting ready to walk down the aisle with the ring that is not in debt that he paid for in cash because he's been saving up for three years praying for me to come into his life. That's a miracle, y'all. There, there's a difference between manufacturing a miracle and actually living in a miracle. And I think oftentimes when we wait, we try to overwork. Well, somebody notice me. I, I'll give you an example. In my own life and my kid, my son Carter wanted to save up money to buy, buy some shoes. And he never has money because he spends it every time he gets it. You know what he spends it on? Cards. He's making the same mistake that my generation made. You remember that? We collected cards, thought we were going to be rich. They're all sitting in a box somewhere and nobody wants them, right? <laughs> He's going to get cards. He's buying cards. Every time he goes, can we go to Target get some cards? I'm like, why do you want cards? Because they're cool. You get this, you get that. So he buys all these cards. He never has money. Harris, I'm there, and he's six years old, and I can determine his money right now. And so I have a bank that I put on the very, very top shelf in his room that we have just filled up for the last probably five, six years. Just put coins in. He has some money. He has 60, 70 bucks in there. It's so high up there, nobody can get to it except for me. That's how God works, by the way. He just puts it out of your reach. I got this. And we're going to save this, this up. Don't touch this. A few days ago, Carter came downstairs with a wad of cash. I'm like, what are you, where'd you get? He's like, I, I, I have money. I'm like, where'd you get the money from? A few moments after that, Harrison comes running down the thing. He's like, Dad. He's like, Carter, let me buy his basketball cards from him. <laughs> and so he said, look at all these cards that I got. I said, how much did you give him? My whole bank. I said, Carter, did you... Did you earn that? Did you, did you get that? Or did you, did, you, did you manipulate and manufacture and steal that? You ever talk to your kid about something, they act like they can't talk no more? <laughs> I would be careful in your life when you get to the point where you got to start manufacturing stuff. Can I, can I just give you two things real fast? We're going to move quickly to the next one. Listen, if it's not God's time in your life, guess what? You can't force it. You, you can't force if it's not God's time. But here's the thing. If it is God's time in your life, guess what? You can't stop it. If it's not God's time, you can't force it. If it is God's time, you can't stop it. Don't overwork. Let me just give you two more. Laura, you can come play me off so I hurry. Number, number four, don't feel overlooked. Can, can I tell you what the worst thing in the world about our life is? Everybody's life is moving so much faster than yours, Right? Everybody, like you could just see it. They're, they're happy. Their marriage is perfect. Their kids are perfect. Their vacations are perfect. Like they go on the best vacations in the world. Instagram says so. Everything about them. And you are in your house right now, you know, 
eating ramen noodle by yourself Friday night, scrolling social media, and what do you do? God, you, you forget about me. I wonder if David was there. I wonder if he looked back on his brother's lives and since this happened. And maybe his older brother was married with kids and you know, had a career, and the young, his younger brothers are all kind of doing their thing. And here he is 15 years later in a cave, hiding for his life. And I wonder if he was human like us enough to go, God, what, what happened? Like I said yes to your anointing and my life has gotten kind of awful and I feel so delayed where I'm at and I feel overlooked. Overlooked. Everybody else is getting married. Everybody else has a career. Everybody else gets the money. Everybody else gets the promotion. Everybody else's life is better than mine. And here I am waiting. Sometimes if I'm honest, I'm there. I got pastors, all friends all over the United States. And some areas are just different to pastor in. Like people go to church in some areas. And it's just easier. And sometimes I look at their, their social media feed uh, on a Sunday. That's a mistake, by the way, after church. I'll be like, you guys, when's that coming to pass? You're working for two months. This church is the same size as mine after 15 years. It showed up. Just put a, put a sign up and they come. I'm like, God, what, what's going on here? And by the way, this is where Satan wants you to be. What, what happens here is you begin to become unaware that a, that a detailed destination, that a predetermined destination, that that a specific plan for your, for your life also requires very specific details. Think about it. If you were at, a, at, the, at the airport and everybody else was taking off, but they were going different places, and you were stuck there in your delay, would you go, why is everybody else going? Truth is because they're going somewhere different. So their details of their flight look different than yours. And you need to consistently remind yourself, God's plan for me is personal. It's private. He created it. He, he, he's in control. Read this verse to yourself in Psalms 37 where it says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. What does it do? It only leads to evil doing. For evildoers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, what do they do? They get the land. Those who wait on the Lord will see the work of God come to pass. And then the last one is this. This one's important. Don't become overly permissive. And this is what I mean. Don't compromise. We, we will always be tempted when we don't get the results that we think we should get and everybody else is getting out ahead of us. We will always be tempted to compromise. If you're a parent, I think this is a very fitting final point. Because there's been a few situations in our life over the last couple years but as our kids got older and you start to see what kind of a lifestyle you have to live and how you got to let them play. And when you don't let them play a million things, you feel like you're being an awful parent because kids are supposed to be busy and well-rounded and, and, and mediocre at everything and all these things. And parents are never supposed to see their kids because you're supposed to take them to everything and you're never supposed to eat together in that house you pay for. Don't ever go there. Stay away from there. And as they gotten older, it is because you feel like people are getting out ahead of your kids and they're learning new things and they're going to be more well-rounded. It's really easy as you're waiting on the Lord to compromise. I'm going to tell you, in the areas that we've compromised, there has always been a cost. 
And some of you right now, you're, you're making decisions based on being overly permissive. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to permit that in my life, even though it's not right. Because I don't want to wait. I'm going to permit that sin in my life because I don't want to wait. I'm going to permit that person in my life because I don't want to have to wait. I don't want to break up with them because if I break up with them, I don't know what's on the other, other horizon. I don't know what to do. I want to end with reading the, psalm, the end of the Psalms to you because D- David brings it back around. He doesn't leave us in the woe is me. He encourages us, and this is what he says. He says, but I, but I trust in your unfailing love. That love will never fail me. Watch what he says. My heart rejoices in your, uh, you should highlight that, in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, not for he will be good to me, for he has been good to me. You see what he says right there? Why, why am I going to trust in the Lord and wait for the Lord? Because you saved me. He goes back to when he was in the field, when the messenger came and got him, and he stood in the presence of God before the prophet Samuel. And for some reason, that God had his eyes fixed on him out in the field and knew who he was and called him by name and said, I have your life figured out. In that moment, he saved me. And because of that, even though I haven't seen the, the, the promise come to pass yet, that you saved me, so I'm going to continue to trust in your unfailing love. And I'll end with this story because I want you to see it worked out. Uh, some years ago, a young man named, named Ian Guido walked through the doors of Journey Church. If you're not a part of this church, you haven't been for a long time, uh, Ian was not a church person at all. His family was, was shattered. He grew up in a broken home, had a lot of pain with, with, with his father, and went through some stuff. By the time he came to church, uh, he was addicted to drugs or, or alcohol. Uh, he was just kind of a mess. He was the person you would not expect to be at church. He hit rock bottom through a relationship. He reached out to, uh, he was reached out to by another man in our church that basically said, hey, you should come to church with me tomorrow. Seems like you're going through some stuff. And so he, he walked through the doors of our church probably 13 or 10 years ago, nine and a half years ago, something like that. And I never met him before. In fact, the Sunday he came, interestingly enough, I wasn't here. My brother preached, and he preached on worship. And he said, I don't know what happened, but that day I gave my life to the Lord. I could feel him. So I gave my life to the Lord. I was somewhere I thought I would never be, that I didn't fully understand. And he began to come to church. He began to faithfully serve. And one day I said, hey, Ian, you should go out into the parking lot and be the parking lot person. If you know who Ian is, you know he's a perfect fit for the parking lot. Because the parking lot sets the party. So I said, go out into the parking lot, start to park cars. He was our very first parking lot person ever in the history of Journey Church. He started to come, be more and more faithful, continued to serve. Eventually I said, I think you're supposed to work at church. I don't know why, but I think you are. So I brought him on, full-time staff. He left his job at Malvern Glass, and he began to work at a church. An unlikely story. A few months into it, when I hired him, I didn't realize he couldn't type, but I hired him to be our communications person. So as you can imagine, that was not a fit. Good to see you. Love you, Ian. But fate would have it because God is a good God, and Ian has done incredible things for God's kingdom. Fate would have it that he would have an opportunity to lead kids ministry one day. And by the way, he had never been in kids church in his entire life. And after one Sunday, I realized, dude, you're not supposed to be a communications major, but you might be the best kids pastor in the history of the world. Like, they get you. You get them. You're fun. You're creative. You're kind of crazy. 
you're passionate, you're everything I want this kid's ministry to be. And he began to lead the kid's ministry, and he took it from two classes to four classes, four classes, to two campuses, two campuses, to three campuses, three campuses, to four campuses, four campuses, to get ready for five campuses. And he watched that. He was a part of that ministry growing from about 50 kids to over 300 kids. Now he's transitioned. He's a, he's a campus pastor, director at Montgomeryville, and his role has continued to change. But in the midst of all that, all that, those things that God had done, his main prayer was he wants to get married. Like, yeah, I want to get, he's almost 30 years old, so old, right? <laughs> and he wanted to get married. And I remember he had uh, exhausted some, like went after, tried to date a couple girls, didn't work out, like he couldn't find the right one. You have to marry the right person. Don't marry the wrong person. Please write that down somewhere. And I would tell him, you got to marry the right person. It's going to determine the fate of, of your thing. And one day, like, I would, I would, he would, like, kind of be interested in somebody, and I would try to talk him out of it like a good big brother. Like, I don't think you like her that much. I don't want to work with her forever, right? <laughs> None of you. They don't go to our church anymore. And one day, we tried a different, a different route. And the route was, uh, he was kind of worried, kind of scared, you know, all that stuff. And I said, dude, I don't know why I had this epiphany. I said, if God... If God saved you when you were unsavable, if God called you when you were an, an addict, when you couldn't stop drinking alcohol, and God changed you, and God is using you, and God did all that in your past, I said, Ian, don't you think that he has the rest of it all figured out? Don't you think that he has the perfect spouse coming your way? Don't, don't you think he has your kids already figured out or whatever your family looks like? Don't you think that God is a God of the past, the present, and the future. And I remember that conversation. We both came away. And I could tell it wasn't for me because I'm, I'm, I'm like this. I never, my, my thing was don't do it, right? So I tried the encouraging front. You know, it's a few years after that. And the cool thing is he's, he now, God brought him the perfect wife. And I'm glad that he's, he's here with her because she's perfect for ministry. And then he popped out a baby. He did it. She did. Little Uriah looks just like him. And then a few months ago, just a few years into their marriage, little Isla came on, on the screen. And I don't know what the future holds. That conversation wasn't that long ago. It was a waiting word. And you know what my favorite thing about Ian was? No matter how much he waited, his position was always the same. When he, when he was in church, if he wasn't with the kids, he was always in the front row somewhere, if you were in church, and he would always have his hands. He's, his last name is Guido, so you know he don't worship with an open palm. How does he worship? Come on. And he sings as loud as he can. And his worship was not emotional. It was foundational. Here's this big, burly, hairy, bearded guy that should not be in church, that should not be saved. And he's given all of the praise to God. And he's saying, I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to wait for you. I'm going to let you do what only you could do. And I want to encourage you with the same thought. If he saved you and you've given your heart to him, don't you think you can trust him with the rest of the plan? Don't you think he already has it all figured out, that all you need to do is continue to wait on him? Be reminded of what he's already done. Would you stand with me all over this house, and would you bow your heads, and would you close your eyes for me? We're going to go back into a time of singing. Just one more song. We're actually going to sing this song together, where it's a declaration that we're going to wait for you. But before, before we do that, I just want everybody to close their eyes for one moment. I want you to be aware of the situation that we're in right now.
We are in a God-ordained moment for some of you. Some of you, you are in, you are in the moment of waiting and you have been stressed out and so afraid and you, you're about to compromise and you, you, you're, it's hard for you to live with courage and it's hard for you to keep going and you worship God kind of like a teeter-totter. You're up, you're down, you're up, you're down. And the, the God-ordained moment is for you just to wait on the Lord. It's not a passive waiting. It's a passionate waiting. I'm going to seek your face because I believe that I'm going to see the goodness of God. He didn't save me to let me down. He didn't bring me this far to quit. That he has the entire plan figured out. The start, the middle, and the end. That he's in control. That he will never leave me nor forsake me. That what David said is true. That I'm going to trust in his unfailing love. And for some of you, uh, it's a preordained moment in history. Not just in your season, but in history. See, because I believe there's people here today that God began to work on you from the moment you got here. At all of our campuses. I want you just to close your eyes for one more second. I know when God begins to speak to you, it can almost become overwhelming. And first reaction is to think if he, worry it, wonder what he's doing in anybody else's life. But I just want you to fix your eyes on him right now. He's a personal God. That you are not one of a billion that to him you are one in a billion. That he formed you, that he made you, that he put that the thoughts that he has for you, they, they outnumber the sand on the shore, the Bible says. That before the foundations of the world, that he thought about you, that you're not a mistake. That you didn't accidentally show up on this earth, that you're not disregarded, that you're not full of baggage, that you don't li- need to live your life full of shame, that you're his child. That you were bought at a high price. It was his son, Jesus Christ. And he gave up his son for you. And that's how you know he loves you. He didn't stay far from you in heaven and say, hey, you need to get your act together. He said, you need my help. And so I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to die for your sins. And the Bible says on the third day, he rose in power. Jesus did. And it's through him and by him that we become a new person. So I wonder how many people in this place that this is a God-ordained moment in history. That you try to live on your own, that you try to be your own God, that you try to make your own decisions, that if you're honest with you because of that, you try to control everything because you try to control everything, you live with anxiety and fear. Because you try to control everything, you make really unwise decisions and you compromise and you live your life with a with a burdensome shame. And when I talk about living in a cave scared for your life, you can relate because that's how it feels. Here's what the Bible says. He says, he says God is an ever-present help in a time of your need. And he's here right now. And scripture says that if you would call on the name of the Lord, that you would be saved. For anyone who confesses with their mouth and believes in their heart that Jesus came, that he died, that he rose from the dead, that he's what we need for forgiveness of our sins, that in him we become a brand new creation. The old is gone. And when you invite him into your life, whether you understand all of it or you understand very little of it, but what you do understand is you can't live this way anymore. You can't be the Lord of your life. It's only led to pain and stress and anxiety, and you are ready to hand it over to God.
The good news is since the moment that you were formed, he has been desperately waiting to have a relationship with you. And he is drawing you home. He has reached out his hands to you today. He has done the work. All you need to do is make the decision to say yes. And so as we're here right now, I don't care if the biggest, toughest guy in this room, the oldest person in this room, the youngest person in this room, the person who comes every week, the person who has never been here before, the person who would say, I should not be in church right now. I don't care who you are. If you call on the name of the Lord right now, the Bible says that you'll be saved. That he will come in power in your life. That he will heal you. That he will set you free. So with nobody moving around in this moment at all five of our campuses, and our other campuses where I'm not there, I'm on a screen, there's somebody physically standing in the front, and they are ready for you to respond. Then let me know right here in Phoenixville so that we can pray all together as one church. God loves you more than you can imagine, friend. Whether you're here for the first time or you've been here for years, but today you need to get your life right with Jesus Christ. You need to make him the Lord. You don't want to do it on your own anymore. You don't want to be in control. You want to give it to him. Don't look around to worry about the person to your right or left. Be bold. Have courage. Take a step of faith. And how we do that today in the presence of God is I'm going to ask you in a second if that's you. And if that's you all over our house, since you're just going to shoot your hand straight up in the air and say, hey, today is going to be my day. It's a signal to God that I'm going to invite you into my life right now. I want you to take control. So if that's you all over our rooms and you say, hey, pastor, that's me, just begin to shoot your hand straight up in the air. I see a hand way back here in the left. Yes, yes. Keep your hand held high. I see another hand right here. Is there anybody else? Say, hey, pastor, that's going to be me. That's me, that's me, that's me. I need to give my life to Christ. Another hand back here in the left. Anybody else? Come on, that me. I need to get my life right with Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be the Lord of my life anymore. I'm not going to be the Lord. There's somebody in Limerick. Come on, church, let's clap and rejoice with that person. Somebody in Montgomeryville. Yes, we're just going to stay here and let people keep responding. We're going to let people keep responding. Is there anybody else say, hey, Pastor, that's going to be me at Royersford right now in Plymouth meeting. I'm going to give you one more second. Today I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? One more moment before we pray together and we make Jesus everything. Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for those that continue to respond. Thank you for the person that just responded in Royersford. Thank you that you continue to move in the midst of this prayer that this is not just a prayer of man's words but lord your presence is powerfully here right now and you are moving in a profound life-changing way jesus thank you for what you're doing here's what we're praying jesus be the lord of my life forgive my sins set me free make me a brand new person give me new eyes give me a new heart give me a renewed mind right now lord what held me captive no longer holds me down Lord, when I, dealt, when I dealt with anxiety, now I have peace. When I dealt with fear, now I have joy. Where I felt broken, now I feel whole. And I thank you, Lord, that the Bible says that when we come to Christ, that we become a brand new creation in Jesus' name. That this is not just a one-time prayer, but this changes everything about our life from this day forward. And we are grateful for all that you're going to accomplish, Lord. Thank you that we can praise you. Thank you that we can wait on you. Thank you that you have a good plan for our life as we end this service. Lord, we're going to worship you as we wait on you. We're going to worship you as we wait. We're going to lift our hands. We're going to sing loud with our voices. And Lord, your presence is going to flood these rooms. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, church, one more time. Let's clap together all over this house.